are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12s. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me is always my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. We're happy to have another Victory Monday. It's felt like it's been an eternity since the Seahawks won after back-to-back losses, but Russell Wilson does not have a three-game losing streak. The Seahawks denying the 49ers with a 28-21 win in Santa Clara, and Russell Wilson became the fastest quarterback to 100 victories in the regular season in NFL history. So congratulations to Russ and the Seahawks. We're going to be breaking down that game throughout the episode. And of course, we're going to be tackling your questions in our weekly mailbag segment. Thanks for making the Locked On Seahawks your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms, so make sure to check them out. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. Last week, there was kind of this, the sky is falling feeling for the 12s out there. And for most of the first half yesterday in Santa Clara, those feelings started to look like maybe they were a reality. This Seahawks offense, they could not get out of their own way. We'll talk about the specifics later. But to me, Rob, there's a lot of storylines coming out of this game. But I think we need to give extra emphasis to the unheralded heroes that allowed the Seahawks to pull off this comeback and end up scoring four touchdowns against the 49ers, open their NFC West play with a victory. And I want to start with Alex Collins out of the backfield because this is an offense that had five straight three and outs to open the game. Chris Carson had five rushes for five yards. They didn't have a play of more than five yards during any of those drives. They couldn't get anything going. Alex Collins ended up being the spark for this football team, catches a 28-yard pass, slipping out of the backfield on a play-action pass. Wilson hits him. It was the first first down that they had had in the entire game. And then they ended up scoring a few minutes later. DK Metcalf finding the end zone in 7-7 somehow. It felt like the 49ers were up by 40 points, but they tied the game there. And really the momentum changed that play. Collins gave them 44 rushing yards. 34 receiving yards on just 12 touches and his touchdown run in the fourth quarter to really put this game away was one of the more impressive runs you're going to see putting his Irish dancing skills to the test just weaving in and around 49ers defenders I thought I was watching the slalom and I thought maybe the Olympics got pushed a few months early as he was weaving through those defenders it was one of the better touchdown runs that I have seen and That put the Seahawks up 28-13. That ended up being the difference in this matchup. I really thought Collins was the game changer for the Seahawks on offense as he continues his career revival in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, I think that's very well said, Corbin. I thought that Alex Collins absolutely was a game changer for the Seahawks on the offensive side of the ball. As you said, um, he was Seattle's leading rusher with 44 uh, rushing yards. Obviously, Chris Carson is the starter, but it was the the, the just the burst that Alex Collins demonstrated as well as his elusiveness. And then as a receiver, again, uh, you know, he had the leading reception tied with DK Metcalf with a 28-yard catch. Uh, and it was that 28-yard catch that really kind of sparked Seattle. 
Um, you know, as as you referenced, the, the you know the beginning of the game was about as ugly as it could possibly get uh, for Seattle offensively. Um, their, their first five drives, unable to get a single first down. It was you know inside of five minutes uh, in the second quarter or remaining in the second quarter before Seattle was able to get that first first down, and that was on the reception by Alex Collins um, that wound up resulting uh, you know a couple of minutes later into a DK Metcalf touchdown. Touchdown that they, they gave Seattle a seven-seven halftime, uh, you know, tie with the 49ers, despite the fact that they were being basically blown out of the water in terms of just the, their performance on the field up to that point. And I think because of the uh, of the the boost that Alex Collins provided the squad on the offensive side of the ball, as well as the the boost that Ryan Neal, another relatively anonymous player, at least from a national perspective, Seahawks fans know exactly who Alex Collins is, exactly who Ryan Neal is. But at the same time, I don't think nationally many people were talking about either one of these two players. I think there was going to be all kinds of hype out there about what Russell Wilson did, what DK Metcalf did, uh, what, what Quandre Diggs did, some of Seattle's pro bowlers. Um, but at the same time, it was these two unsung stars for the Seahawks, Collins and Neal, that I really thought was the game breaker for the 49ers. Yeah, I think the Seahawks don't win this game without those two players. I thought that they were two of the best players on the field yesterday. And I'm not that surprised that Collins was able to come in and do what he did because if you were at training camp, we mentioned the fumbles. That was the one concern, but he was making big plays throughout training camp. He had that monster game against the Chargers in the preseason, and he's lighter. He, he just looks like a different back. He looks like the player we saw at Arkansas when he had three straight 1,000-plus yard season for the Razorbacks. And he was a player that I was shocked fell to the fifth round. Didn't do much for the Seahawks as a rookie, but eventually turned things around and he was out of the league for 2019. That really was a wake-up call for him. And it turned him into a chip-on-the-shoulder guy. I don't think he was that kind of player when he came into the NFL necessarily, but he has turned into that type of a player with the work ethic and the way that he carries his business now. And that's why he's having success on the field, along with the fact that he's got extremely quick feet from that Irish dancing and really allows him to make guys miss. It's It's been a lot of fun seeing him rectify his career back in Seattle. And as for Neil, he's always been a chip on the shoulder guy. And this is a player that was discarded by the Falcons and Eagles and even the Seahawks cut him. He was thinking about retiring before the 2020 season. As we know, he ended up stepping in for Jamal Adams in week three, had that game-ending interception off Dak Prescott and the Cowboys had an interception the next week against the Dolphins. He was a revelation starting four games in place of Jamal Adams. And they were still using him as an extra dime back for a good portion of the second half of the season. And yet the first three games of the year, dating back to the Colts, Titans, Vikings games, he did not play one snap on defense for the Seahawks. That changed yesterday. The Seahawks decided to switch things up. They were worried about George Kittle, as they should have been, one of the best tight ends in football, decided we're going to combat their tight ends, the offensive 49ers run, playing more nickel and dime packages. So Ryan Neal got to play 26 snaps yesterday. He had four tackles. He stonewalled rookie quarterback Trey Lance on a quarterback keeper on third down, stopped him short of the line. The 49ers had to punt. And there was another play where he denied George Kittle on third down and knocked the ball away, and that forced a punt. So he had two third down plays that were huge in this game to get the 49ers offense off the field. I thought he made the most of his snaps. Again, Alex Collins and Ryan Neal, 
two players that nationally probably aren't well known, but in Seattle, they're respected. Uh, obviously the fans know who these two guys are, but they really stepped up their games. And on a day where a lot of the stars weren't really shining early, it was the efforts of those two that really ignited both sides of the football and ultimately helped the Seahawks win this game. No, no, no question about it. And I love the two third down uh, attempts by the 49ers that you just mentioned, Corbin, as far as with Ryan Neal, because there's two other third down attempts by the 49ers that Ryan Neal destroyed that I wanted to highlight. One was a huge hit on Kyle Huszczyk down the sideline, right in front of Seattle's bench as the game was late in the late stages, the fourth quarter. But you know that the 49ers were expecting to get a little bit of a shot in the arm in terms of adrenaline once that their their rookie quarterback, Trey Lance, got onto the field. You saw some of the dynamic and athletic ability that, that he showed. But again, the big hit by Neal on the sideline, I think that really kind of gave Seattle a little bit of that energy. And then there was another one, third and 15. Uh, and the 49ers set up a little screen off to the left-hand side. And, and and Ryan Neal was basically out there in no man's land. He had four different blockers uh, around the ball carry. Or Neal must have hit every single one of them. I think Bobby Wagner was the one who actually got credit for the play. But you go back and watch that play. Ryan Neal was the enforcer on that. He was the one that, that turned the ball carrier back upfield into where Wagner and the rest of the Seahawks defenders were in hot pursuit and were able to take that that third and 15 screen that we know the Seahawks have struggled with screens. We've been talking about that ad nauseum over the month of the of the, the first month of the season. Ryan Neal turned that play around. There was four different third down conversions that Ryan Neal almost single-handedly thwarted of the 49ers. I thought that was a huge, huge part of the fact that Seattle held San Francisco to just two of 14 on third down. Pete Carroll talked about it after the game. He talked about it today on Monday uh, in, in the post game, uh, you know, as far as looking ahead to the Rams and all that. And again, I think that Ryan Neal on defense and Alex Collins on offense, to me, those were absolutely the two unsung stars that are now we are singing about, uh, at least as much as a guy with a, a bad voice right now can do so, because they really were difference makers in a game that the Seahawks absolutely needed to win. And now, you don't have to worry about fourth place anymore. The, the Seahawks put the 49ers on their home field back where they belong in the bottom of the division. Yeah, and both those guys are going to be big coming up on Thursday. The Seahawks are going to need contributions from Alex Collins and Ryan Neal against the Rams if they want to have a second straight NFC West victory, this time at Lumen Field. When we come back in the second quarter, we're going to tackle your questions. It's our weekly mailbag segment. You're listening to the Locked on Seahawks podcast part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, Seahawk fans. If you do a lot of driving like I do, then you need to know about a fantastic new app called GetUpside. When you open an account on GetUpside, you can get 25 cents per gallon back every time you fill up at the pump. Over time, that kind of savings starts to really add up. I can tell you I just downloaded this app, and I'm already saving a bunch of money. Some people are making as much as two to $300 per month in cash back with GetUpside. And that only not only makes it easy to save, but they also give you multiple cash out options, such as direct payment to your bank account, PayPal, Amazon gift cards, and more available at any time. And now when you open an account and use our special promo code TOUCHDOWN, you can get a bonus 25 cents back per gallon on your first fill up. That's up to 50 cents back per gallon. So don't pay full price of the pump anymore. Make sure to download the free GetUpside app. Use our special promo code TOUCHDOWN when you sign up for your account. 
and start saving every time your car or truck needs a fill-up. That's Get Upside, available in the iTunes App Store and on Google Play. Use the promo code TOUCHNOW. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always for our first victory Monday in a while, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. As we always do each and every Monday, it's time for our weekly mailbag segment. We got a ton of questions from the 12s, and it's always refreshing after a victory because we, we we see different types of questions after losses compared to wins. Usually a much more positive tone, as you would expect. So let's get to the questions First one coming here from Cash with a K tweets, has Kyle Fuller cemented himself as a full-time starter at center over Ethan Posick for the next several years? Well, I'm going to say the end of that question, Rob, that I think that we are leaping to conclusions there that we can't really leap to right now. If you're going to say that Kyle Fuller is your center beyond 2021, I don't think he has played well enough at this point to start wondering whether or not he's going to be your starter for the foreseeable future. But I do think that he has played better the last couple of weeks, and he is gaining experience. We have to remember he had only started one game at center in the NFL prior to this year. That was week 10 last year against the Rams, and he battled a high ankle sprain for a good chunk of that game. So he hasn't had much experience. Now he's got four starts under his belt. I thought he played pretty well in the second half yesterday for the Seahawks against the 49ers. It seems like he's starting to figure things out a little bit. So if he keeps improving, then I could foresee Kyle Fuller playing his way maybe into that type of a conversation. It's weird saying that because I thought at the beginning of the year that they were really in trouble at center, and maybe they still will be. But he has shown more improvement than I anticipated at this point. Seems like he's getting a better feel for the position. He's doing a better job with Shane Waldron's scheme and executing his blocks. So there's a lot of reasons to be encouraged, but I'm not going to go far enough saying he's your starter in 2022 or beyond that. He's got a long way to go to earn that distinction as far as I'm concerned. This is still a position of need, and he's going to have to play his way into that type of a situation. Next question coming from Jim Osmer tweets, can you compare – performance of the three players who have filled in for Brandon Shell at right tackle. I'm going to leave this one to you, Rob. You've had a chance to watch Cedric Abwehi as well as Jamarco Jones and rookie Jake Curran. How have those three handled replacing Shell the last two weeks? I think for the most part, they've done pretty well. And as you just, uh, I, I thought, correctly articulated with the improvement that uh, the Seahawks have seen from Kyle Fuller, I, I am encouraged with what Seattle has seen from Jake Curran, um, just in his limited snaps. And of course, that, that included um, you know some opportunities against San Francisco, um, where, of course, it was Cedric Abway who got the start. And I, I thought the Seattle's offensive line basically to a man struggled in the first quarter, um, maybe even part of the second quarter. But I really thought the Cedric play played pretty well. I, I really like his initial quickness, dropping back um, in, in pass protection. I thought that he gave you something in the running game um, as well. That's always been one of the concerns I have about Jamarco Jones. I really like his balance, his quickness, um, you know, in, in pass protection, but I just don't see him create much push in the running game. So I, I thought that Cedric Boy he proved himself to be, be the, the better player in terms of all around um, based on the way that he performed against the 49ers uh, in the second half, especially, uh, you know, of this last game against the 49ers. But of course, it's been durability. It's been consistency that have been the, the huge concerns with both Obwehi and Jones. 
Whereas with Jake Curran, just because he is a technically refined player, certainly at Cal, he was an incredibly durable player as well. I do like the upside that he offers as well, but I do think that the Seahawks are going to be excited about the possibility of getting Brandon Shell back. I just think that this is demonstrating that Seattle's depth and offensive tackle is perhaps as good as it's been, at least the right tackle position, you know, throughout the, the Russell Wilson era. Yeah, getting Abwehi back was a big deal. And aside from getting smoked once by D Ford, who ended up sacking Russell Wilson, I thought it was a pretty good debut for him after starting the year on injured reserve. Curran's had his struggles, but you can expect him. He's gone against Daniil Hunter and D Ford for the most part in his first two NFL games. Those are not ideal draws against proven pass rushers. So you got to give him that. He has played against tough competition and he's hung in there. Jamarco Jones, he's done okay, but again, injuries and an illness now he's had illness issues have really prevented him from really showing what he can do with that position john Bryan tweets with some of the defensive linemen nursing injuries can we expect to see lj collier active this week who else should we look out for from a practice squad elevation standpoint if needed well you mentioned the injuries there's a chance that daryl taylor carlos dunlap and benson mayoa could all be out for Thursday against the Rams. Now, I don't think that's how it's going to end up playing out. I think one of those players, at least, is going to suit up for Thursday night. But all of them sound questionable based on what Pete Carroll said. And with it being a short rest, there's always the chance that they decide, you know what, we're going to hold all three players out. In that case, then absolutely LJ Collier is going to be active just by default. They don't have the depth to keep holding him out as a healthy scratch if all three of those players are sidelining. Obviously, he does not have the same skill set. He's a bigger body defensive end that isn't known for his quickness or edge rushing ability, but he would have to step in and take some key reps against the Rams if that ends up being the case. I think even if one or two of those guys are out, that he's going to be active for this game, and he's going to have to play a lot better because he really struggled in that matchup against the Titans, and now he's been out the last two weeks again. He's got to earn his way back into that rotation as far as guys on the practice squad Seattle doesn't really have a ton of options at the edge rushing position they might want to bring up another defensive tackle like Miles Adams or Jared Hewitt Hewitt has played some defensive end too so maybe those players will be in consideration for game day call up they don't really have a lot of depth in the edge rushing department guys that can come up and really rush off the edge and, and bring some speed to the table they don't really have those options so they got to hope at least one of those guys can go in this game on Thursday night Donna B tweets, what are your thoughts on how the Seahawks are using Jamal Adams? Well, I, I've been encouraged by the fact that, uh, you know, Seattle basically took the, the approach that, that we talked about in our last week's episode, Corbin, just trying to, you know, kind of revert back to the keep it simple, stupid kind of a philosophy, the KISS system that as far as that, it just felt like Seattle was putting their players in positions that, that might look good on a whiteboard, but weren't really taking advantage of what makes, in this case, Jamal Adams special. And that's getting after the quarterback, being more in the box. We saw some plays in coverage we saw a big pass breakup against George Kittle we, we saw some big physical hits along the line of scrimmage and I think that those are all the things that the Seattle has to do to be able to allow Jamal Adams to be the difference maker that he can be but I also think that a, a great deal of credit as we talked about in our in our first segment today is the fact that Seattle was willing to go into more nickel and dime which I think you're gonna have to see a lot more often considering the passing attacks that you're going to be going up against here and 
And it, to me, it's a little bit easier to compliment a kind of wild card player like Jamal Adams when you have a really savvy free safety that the team already has in Quandre Diggs, and then as well as a guy who is making a lot of big plays of his own uh, in Ryan Neal as well. Next question here coming from Nathan Darvis tweets, what's going on with Marquise Blair not getting much field time? I think there's a few factors at play here. One, Marquise Blair has just not been able to stay healthy. He banged his knee before their game in Minnesota, and they ended up having to hold him out. We know he missed most of last year with the torn ACL. He missed a large chunk of training camp with a bruised kneecap. I mean, he has just had constant injuries, and I think that's really stunned his progress. And the other thing that isn't helping his cause right now, Ryan Neal playing well. Ryan Neal needs to be on the field. So, you know, maybe the Seahawks would have considered those dime packages bringing Marquise Blair and Ugo Amadi both in together. But you can't have Ryan Neal on the field and do that. You can't go with a seven defensive back. I mean, you can, but they're not going to be doing that bandit look very often. It's got to be very unique situations where the opponent is clearly passing the football or maybe even prevent type situations. And so I think he's kind of found himself on the outside looking in. He's gotten some chances to play in the slot, but we haven't seen any of those big plays that I think many of us, including myself, thought we were going to see from him. And part of that has just been because he has not been healthy. He's not been able to get the snaps he needs to get experience. And so, unfortunately, he's been the odds. Uh, he's been the odd man out as far as trying to get snaps on defense in general for the Seahawks. And last question here real quick from Michael Hendrickson tweets. And this is the one I've been so excited to talk about. Do you think LeBron James could have succeeded as a tight end in the NFL? He he said uh, on the Manning cast a few weeks ago that the Seahawks and Cowboys both offered him contracts. And Pete Carroll kind of was smiling about that. Of course, he would have loved to see LeBron James playing tight end for the Seattle Seahawks. Oh, no question about it. I mean, we're talking about truly one of the world's greatest athletes and his size, his leaping ability. And we talked about this before, Corbin, that it's one of the reasons why I personally love to evaluate wrestlers along the line of scrimmage because they understand leverage and balance. I love to evaluate former basketball players at the skill positions. Um, anytime you have to catch the ball, think about basketball players. They always catch the ball with their hands. You don't see basketball players allow the ball to hit them in the chest. They catch the ball with their hands. So, yeah, I, I would be encouraged by signing any uh, former basketball player and giving an opportunity to see what they can do. But somebody with the the talent of a LeBron James, there is no doubt in my mind that LeBron James could have been a very, very successful NFL player. Would he be as good as perhaps you know, the greatest player of all time, which I think that he is very much in that conversation in NBA history? I'm not going to say that. But there is no doubt in my mind that LeBron James could have made an NFL roster and perhaps even been a, a difference maker um, had he chosen that avenue. I'm going to go as far as saying he would have been a Hall of Fame player in the NFL. I've I have watched his high school clips, and I'm telling him mean, he would he could have gone anywhere in the country that he wanted to. He's just that rare freak athlete. Yep. He could have played for any Division One school. I mean. Alabama, Ohio State, all those schools. He could have played for any of them. He would have been a superstar. And I would even go as far, and I hate saying this, because playing in the NFL is obviously not easy. And we've seen a lot of basketball players that haven't been able to make this conversion. But if LeBron actually would have been like, you know what, Pete Carroll, or you know what, Jason Garrett, because he was the coach of the Cowboys, I think I want to give this a shot. You know, NBA is not going to play this year. I think I'll give this a shot. 
I think he could have stepped right in and been a Pro Bowl caliber player. I mean, you can't tell me that corners and safeties would have wanted to have to defend a six foot eight, two hundred and sixty pound monster like that. I mean, think about what DK Metcalf does at receiver. LeBron James is even bigger. And he's a similar athlete, maybe not as explosive from a speed standpoint, but again, 6'8", 260, really soft hands. I'd be making him a focal point of my offense. So I would go as far as saying if he would have picked uh, picked the football route, I think he's in Canton. I think he's just one of those rare athletic talents. We'll never know, but it's always fun to hypothesize. When we come back in the third quarter, we're going to share some insight from yesterday's win over the 49ers. We're going to go back to the good, the bad, the ugly. We'll look at some of the positives from yesterday's game and some of the things that maybe didn't go so well for the Seahawks. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friend's login for the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all that entertainment you love without the hassle and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before so that you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part? There's no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Did you know that Built Bar has so many delicious flavors? There is something for everyone. If you talk to a Built Bar fan like myself, we're definitely passionate about our favorite flavors. Whether it's mint brownie, my personal favorite, peanut butter brownie, cookies and cream, there is a flavor for everyone. If you haven't tried all the flavors, you need to get on it. Go try a mixed box where you'll get two of each of the nine flavors. Not only are Built Bar flavors the best tasting, but they're actually healthy too. 17 to 18 grams of protein, only 130 to 180 calories, only four to five grams of sugar, and only four to five grams net carbs. You've got amazing tasting flavors, and they're also healthy. Go to Built.com and use the promo code LOCK15, and you'll get 15% off your order. That's the promo code LOCK15 to get 15% off at Built.com. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Victory Monday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, Rob Rang. The Seahawks getting back into the win column. They avoided the dreaded 1-3 start. It would have been the first three-game losing streak of Russell Wilson's career, but number three was not going to be denied, and the Seahawks ended up pulling the game out 28-21, to improving to 2-2 two two in the season, 1-0 in the NFC West. There's a lot of positives, so we're going to be doing the good, the bad, the ugly. Of course, there's going to be some negatives. We have to look from a balanced perspective. But, Rob, let's start with the positives because it's a win. we got to start with the good stuff. What was something that immediately jumped out to you as a major positive from yesterday's game? Well, I think that we have to talk about the just the the response from the offensive line, uh, you know, and the offense just in general. I mean, to, to start off as slowly as they did, it was basically the exact opposite of what we've seen in the past. You know, Seattle, of course, would start off so hot and then disappear down the stretch. And, you know, considering how much Pete Carroll has always talked about that you can you can only win the game really in the fourth quarter, to me, the resiliency 
that, that Seattle showed on the road in that hostile environment, going against a pass rush as good as the 49ers have. Nick Bosa, D Ford off the edges. And you know, we talked before about the the, the Armsteads and the, the Kinlaws in the middle. Fred Warner, of course, the linebacker position. It was as ugly of a start of a game as it possibly could be. But to have a, a player like a Cedric Abway, for example, be able to kind of bounce back from that. I mean, he that's been one of the knocks on him is if you punch him in the mouth a couple of times, he will fold. Instead, they responded. And so to me, that is one of the absolute storylines that is likely to be ignored by some of the national pundits. But I think anybody who has been following the Seahawks as long as you and I have, Corbin, I think that's got to be one of the absolute storylines that we talk about. And you mentioned Abwehi being a player that in the past, you know, if he got punched in the mouth, he's going to fold. Well, I think you could say that about a number of players in Seattle's offense, but there's a reason that it doesn't happen. And, you know, I think part of it is the coach that's chewing gum on the sideline. I think Pete Carroll certainly has an impact on that, but it's all about number three. It's all about Russell Wilson. And Dwayne Brown talked about this after the game. You know, Dwayne Brown's like, you know, I, I'm passionate. I have, you know, if things aren't going well, I can get heated on the sideline, but not Russell Wilson, even keeled, regardless of the situation. And I think that calmness and that composure, it really rubs off in his teammates. And the fact that the defense had held the 49ers in check and they only scored seven points while the offense was floundering early, you know, the offense didn't really have any reason to feel like they were out of the game. And so they were able to stay positive or in Russell Wilson's case, stay neutral. We're going to continue to chop at it. and We're going to start having some plays go our way. And that's exactly what happened. So I think a lot of credit has to go to number three. There's a reason the Seahawks win as much as they do. And he's such a big part of it, not just the ability to make plays on the field, but the mindset that he has. And it really rubs off on his teammates. I think it rubs off on his coaches. And so a ton of credit to Russell Wilson for that. And you could just see that neutral mindset being exemplified on the field, on the sidelines and the rest of his team following suit. So I think that was a big reason why they were able to overcome that start that they had and really put things together. Once they got a couple of big plays on offense, then suddenly things were clicking. They were able to get their tempo going. I think a lot of it goes back to the fact of who's under center and the mindset that he brings. Speaking of the defense, you know, we can talk about Russell Wilson, the plays that he made, and that Houdini throw that he made was ridiculous. Slipping out of the sack by Dante Johnson. To me, that's a top five play in Russell Wilson's career. That's how fantastic it was. I had to watch the replay like 10 times. But I want to talk about how well Jamal Adams and Quandre Diggs played in this game. Adams has been under a lot of fire first three weeks of the season. Had no sacks. There were some questions about what he was doing in coverage or the Seahawks using him right. We're still getting questions about that. But I thought yesterday was one of the better games that he's played for the Seahawks. There were some mistakes. He missed a couple of tackles. There were a few plays where maybe he was a little bit out of position in coverage. But he also made some spectacular plays. The recovery he made on that double pass that the 49ers had. I do think if Garoppolo has a better throw to him, there's a chance that that's a touchdown. But nonetheless, Adams able to recover there, knocked the football away from George Kittle way downfield. That was a huge play in this football game. And you mentioned this earlier, Quandre Diggs and Adams teaming up against Kittle in the end zone in the fourth quarter. Normally, George Kittle's going to win that battle high-pointing a football with his size, but Quandre Diggs and Jamal Adams weren't having any of it. Adams had a completely clean hit and just blasted 
George Kittle. And then on the other side, Quandre Diggs got his hand on the football. They were able to punch it out, and they prevented the touchdown from happening. So I thought Adams played really well. Diggs, his film study paying off, second possession, jumping a route to George Kittle and picking off Jimmy Garoppolo, had seven tackles, had two other passes defend. I thought he played like an all-pro yesterday. That was one of the best games I've seen Quandre Diggs play. I thought Jamal Adams played at a high level. We mentioned Ryan Neal. That trio of safeties really was the leading factor in this game for the defense, turning things around after two really rough weeks against the Titans and Vikings. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you 100%. I mean, I, I think that, that Seattle's safety play basically completely mitigated the 49ers' pass rush. And I know that that's obviously not going up against each other, but I really thought that when it came to the defensive side of the ball, that the 49ers had a huge advantage because of their pass rush. Instead, I thought that Seattle's safety play, certainly Quandre Diggs, certainly Jamal Adams, as we talked about before, Ryan Neal, I really thought that they stole the game away from the 49ers. And then, you know, of course, Russell Wilson, I expected him, I think we all expected him to be the best player on offense for either team, and and he was so. And then for on the special team side, that, that Seattle also dominated on that on that uh, side of the field as well. That now, hit Nick Ballore had. Oh, my goodness. I mean, to me, th- there, was, there was a play on offense, a play on defense, and again, the, the hit by Nick Ballore, the fumble recovery by John Radigan, uh, the, the fact that Seattle was able to kick field goals, and of course, uh, San Francisco having their kicker out and Wisniewski, the, the, the punter, uh, you know, attempting those things. I mean, all of those things all played into this game. And to me, to that, that is one of the, the big takeaways of this game I would have is that, as you'd expect, because this is a team that was the defending NFC West champion, and you're talking about a club that, that was drafted number three overall, you know, and finished dead last in the division. But as you'd expect, Seattle did have the best player in offense, defense, and special teams. And I don't care where you're playing, Seattle, Santa Clara, anywhere else. If you can uh, complete that trifecta, you're going to win an awful lot of football games. Yeah, very rare that you're going to be on the losing end when you have the best player on all three phases of the game. And the Seahawks certainly had that yesterday. Nine defensive possessions where they held the 49ers under 30 yards. So Despite the fact that they started off ugly the first drive, the 49ers went right down the field. Jimmy Garoppolo completed all six of his passes for 70 yards. They picked on Sidney Jones right away, got the touchdown to Ross Dwelly. After that, really, the 49ers offense, the only way they were getting anything done was against coverage bus. And that leads me to the bad. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this. I thought Sidney Jones had a decent first start. There were some solid plays. He made seven tackles. He had a pass breakup. Did give up that touchdown to Dwelly. The busted coverage that allowed Debo Samuel to basically have nobody within 50 yards of him and score a 76-yard touchdown. That play, I believe Sidney Jones was the one that was supposed to be covering him, even though the Seahawks have not admitted that up to this point, and they're not going to. I think he was the one that was in the wrong, and there were going to be some communication issues with this being his first start. But I thought he had an okay game. There certainly were some troubles for him, as Pete Carroll said. So, I think the Seahawks might have an intriguing fit there with him and DJ Reed. And now Reed being back on the right side, that might be the combination that ends up being the best one they have. But we're going to have to wait and see for a couple more weeks, especially considering how up and down this game was for Jones. 
Yeah, I agree. I think this is a good st- a, a good spot to talk about uh, Sidney Jones. And, um, you know, I, I think that had Trey Flowers been Seattle's starting quarterback at that spot and Debo Samuel goes for the stat line that he does, eight catches on 12 targets for 156 yards and two touchdowns, then I think people will be going absolutely nuts and just suggesting that it's all Trey Flowers' fault. And the fact that Seattle did continue to struggle, that, to me, that is one of the things that that suggests to me that this is much bigger than just one player. Um, that there, that would be the the bad in this game, in my perspective, is that there still was some of the questions as far as Seattle communicating in the secondary. And you you mentioned the the big play. I mean, that went up going for seventy six yards and obviously a, a touchdown. And you know, if, if you watch that play, Corbin, I mean, Debo Samuel is lined up in the slot. He runs kind of a little wheel route. Initially, Jamal Adams is on him. And as he is starting to drop back, he literally motions with his hand like, hey, I'm letting him go. So whether it was Sidney Jones, who should have released off the wide receiver, Brandon Ayuk, or the free safety, Quandre Diggs, who crashed down also on uh, Brandon Ayuk, obviously that left Debo Samuel over the top. I, you know, there are a lot of football people out there, a lot smarter than I am, that, that can tell you who was most at fault there. It doesn't matter. The, the reality is, is it was a touchdown. The reality is that it was a lack of communication rather than one player truly being at fault. And so to me, that's why it's bad, but not necessarily ugly, because when you have a new starter like Sidney Jones, you have to expect those types of issues. And to me, this was the game where you could kind of gamble with that a little bit. I Again, I talked about before that I thought Seattle might stick with Trey Flowers because I was worried about the physicality that was Debo Samuel. And I... I submit my the evidence was on Sunday of the type of physical player that he is. But at the same time, I do think that the Seahawks are smarter for putting Sidney Jones onto the field now because you know you have the Rams coming up this next week. And had Trey Flowers played well against the 49ers, then I don't I still believe that Sidney Jones would have given them a better opportunity this upcoming week against the Rams. And knowing that you were facing a very, very short week, kudos to the Seahawks for making that transition early on, recognizing they could get away with it a little bit this particular week against the 49ers. And it just sets them up that much more to be hopefully from a Seattle perspective, be a little bit more successful against the Los Angeles Rams team and on Thursday night. And the other bad for me is on offense real quick. I don't think there's too much to go specifics with on this, but the Seahawks have got to be better on third down. We've been screaming this for weeks. I think it's the biggest reason why this team continues to battle consistency issues on offense. They aren't sustaining drives. They are not converting on third down. They were two for 10 again on Sunday. And Russell Wilson was one for five passing for 28 yards. He was sacked on three other dropbacks. They just haven't been able to move the chains. And you could tell just how upset Pete Carroll is about it today. Talking about, you know, it's just not good enough. They're not doing enough. Russell Wilson's completed 36% of his passes on third down this year. Some of that hasn't been his fault. They're at around 50% of their third down snaps are seven plus yards to go. You aren't going to convert a high percentage of those. 
So that says they got to do better on the first two plays, on first and second down. But nonetheless, they are really struggling in that area. And I think that's really a perfect segue to the ugly here. And there's a big reason why the Seahawks had negative seven yards their first five drives. I mean, I think that by itself is pretty self-explanatory. Explanatory. That was awful. That was some of the worst offensive football that I've ever seen in an NFL game. Yeah, that's, you know, obviously besides the, the Clint Eastwood movie reference with the good, bad, and the ugly, I, I really think that those are, are uh, you know, ways of, of explaining this game that, that really do fit in pretty well because there were certainly plenty of good from the Seahawks' perspective. There was some bad, and yes, Seattle's performance on the offensive side of the ball to start the game truly deserves the, the description of ugly because it was. But I, I would go back to one of the things you just said there about the third down woes and to me it's the the lack of a third pass catcher a lack of a third weapon now people will say freddie swain who had three catches for a grand total of 20 yards now obviously one of them would be a touchdown but i I think that more was due to russell wilson's brilliance you you just you described him as houdini before i think that was that's spot on with what he looked like on that particular play. But to me, it's absolutely critical that that Seattle, whether it be Gerald Everett, whether it be D Eskridge, but they are going to have to be able to find somebody besides DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. that will be a consistent third down weapon that is going to strike fear into the hearts of opposing defenses. If they cannot, then you're looking at an eight and eight type of a season. And if you can find that, and I do feel like there's plenty of talent out there in Everett and Eskridge, especially that that that's really where Seattle's offense could suddenly explode and I believe you still have the best quarterback in the division certainly the most durable of the great quarterbacks in this division all the more reason why there is a lot of reasons to believe that the good and bad and the ugly is going to continue to shift more good when we're talking Seahawks football Yeah, they're hoping that the fact that they were able to score the second half Russell Wilson was joking with me yesterday you guys jinxed us we thought we could only score in the first half, so we decided to flip it on you guys. Well, maybe the fact they scored three second-half touchdowns yesterday will be the turning point, and this team will be able to come out on Thursday night and, and play four quarters, or at least three. It would be nice to see them play three. They have not played three full quarters on offense all year, so they're hoping to carry that momentum over, and they're going to need it. They cannot play a half of football and beat a team as good as the Rams. They need to have their best complete game effort to have a chance to improve to 3-2. and two. Since we're on a short week, we're going to be diving right into that matchup on our Tuesday show. You won't want to miss it. And we'll be having our crossover special coming up on Wednesday. So a little different week here on Locked on Seahawks. But we hope you'll be tuning in each and every day. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and the all-new Odyssey app. Again, coming up tomorrow, instead of our traditional Throwback Tuesday, we're going to be diving right into the Los Angeles Rams, looking at some key matchups to watch on both sides of the football. Matchup Wednesday is going to Matchup Tuesday. Just sliding our schedule up a little bit. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Go Hawks.